You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. Welcome to the Locked On Hornets podcast. I'm Walker Mail alongside Nada Edwards. We're coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales. We'll head to the guest line and welcome Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer amidst a road trip heading to Chicago after their game against Toronto last night. Rick, how are you doing today? I'm terrific. How are you, Walker? Uh, I'm doing well, Rick, and just taking some notes here on what the Charlotte Hornets have displayed in their first few games of the season. And just going back to last night, really, before we maybe we get into the overall picture of what we've seen the first three games, four games of the year. Just last night, some some notes that I think what, what was apparent, what we could take note of, was maybe the big man minutes down low. Cody Zeller only getting 15 minutes. Billy Hernan Gomez just getting a few more. And we've seen Borrego experiment with some small ball lineups that maybe we used as an excuse as to why some of these other big men like Cody and Billy didn't get as many minutes there. How do you expect Coach Borrego to divvy out the minutes uh, between Cody Zeller and Billy Hernan Gomez and maybe even Frank going forward? Well, first of all, I will say that I honestly thought that the most, probably the most interesting development of the preseason was uh, how the extent to which um, Hernan Gomez confirmed what they were thinking over the summer, which is that he really saw this as an exceptional opportunity. Uh, you know, we all know what happened circumstantially in New York, and we also know that when after the trade initially happened, Steve Clifford had to have kind of a come-to-Jesus meeting with Billy and say, you know, you're not acting like somebody who requested a trade, got it, and showed up here just incredibly fired up and motivated to show people that you were underutilized in New York. And he got the message and worked a lot harder um, at the tail end of last season. This new coaching change really got him going, Walker. Uh, you know, he he completely changed his plans over the summer as far as he was originally going to spend all summer with the Spanish national team. He instead um, went and played uh, in summer league with the Hornets. He really, really worked on his conditioning. He worked on his shoot, shooting range. And if this all works out, the last thing, arguably, of significance that um, that Rich Show did is going to be one of the better ones. Uh what I'm getting at is I thought that Billy was, you know, giving um, Cody a very legitimate chase. And I think the minutes distribution right now are kind of reflecting that. Uh, Cody needs to play better. Now, in fairness to him, I think he's always been a little bit of a slow starter. Uh, I think Cody's always going to have a significant role on this team. But I think that what we're seeing here is that uh, – you know, Billy's the comer on this team right now. There's there's little question of that. And Rick, when we saw the first couple of games, we really saw Malik Monk step up in some big situations. He had a huge shot against Milwaukee to keep them within that one-point <laughs> loss that they had. Against Miami, he hit a couple of big jump shots down the stretch. But it still has been all Kimba Walker offensively, certainly as the scoring option. Who do you look to as that second scoring option, and how important is it that the Hornets develop one here soon? 
it's crucially important. Uh, and you know who would be the first person to say that? Kemba Walker. It's very interesting to me that, um, you know, when I, when I travel around and I listen to writers from other cities um, asking Borrego questions in the pregame availability, it inevitably um, he's asked a question about to what degree Kemba has accepted, uh, you know, not playing on the ball so much, not doing this so much, not doing that so much. And that's a very, very understandable question. But what's interesting about that is it has nothing to do with how this actually happened, which is that, you know, Kemba not only accepted that, he, in, I mean, he advocated for that. He doesn't, he, he just can't do all things for all people every single Hornets game. So the idea that he is bringing the ball up a little less, that they are trying to find moments for him to, you know, to rest, that's a really good thing. That only works if you have a legitimate number two guy. And Malik is the best candidate for that. And I thought it was really interesting. I, you know, I think if, if at the end of this season they, pull, they, they have a very successful season, I think we're going to look back in the fourth quarter of the Miami game as being significant. Um, literally, Malik walked up to Kemba and said, quote, I got you, bro when Kemba clearly looked exhausted in the third quarter shooting, certainly confirmed that. Um, and then he, you know, it's one thing to say that stuff. It's quite another to do it, and he did. Those two huge jump shots that he pulled up for in the fourth quarter, they were as significant as almost anything they did to win that game. And, you know, I talked to Nick about it um, after the Miami game, and he said to me, you know, I, it's my job as the main ball distributor to make sure that I'm hitting Malik enough that Kemba does not feel like he has to carry the burden every night. I think the idea that all of the significant people on this team are in touch with the need to do that, I think that's story with legs. Rick, how much have you seen Malik Monk improve since uh, from what you saw last year? I think that... Um, I think he's a better defender. I think he is a significantly better decision maker. And I will tell you that, you know, the 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 fact that he was a liability on defense early last season was obvious. But the subtler thing, but which was just as important, frankly, was his decision making when he had the ball in his hand. Um, he had always been a guy who wasn't just the first scoring option on a team. He was the omnipresent scoring option on every single team he ever played for, including that one at, at Kentucky. And I know that there were veterans on this team that were kind of scratching scratching their head that he, you know, initially was just kind of oblivious to what was going on around him and not creating scoring opportunities for teammates that, you know, that were clearly there. Um, he is a wiser basketball player than he was before. It's never been a, you know, the thing about Malik is, Nobody's ever questioned his talent, and more importantly, nobody has ever questioned his confidence. It was just kind of a matter of him maturing as a basketball player. And that, you know, that's different for every single person. And so I think what happened last season was just sort of a necessary function of what happens at the beginning of NBA careers. 
Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joining us now on the guest line. Rick, did you expect that Kimba had hit his career ceiling before this season? And do you think this extra level that Kimba has displayed so far the first few games is somewhat sustainable? Not going to be averaging 35 a night or anything like that, but do you expect somewhat of a, a raised level of play from him this season and to be for that to be sustained? I totally understand why you'd use the word ceiling. Um, that to me is, but that to me is kind of a, that's kind of an absolute. So I don't know that I would have gone that way, but I agree with you that if you had said to me, you know, last season, Rick, do you think Kemba's at 90 or 95% of what he can be in the NBA? I would have definitely agreed with you. And he has found a different gear, at least for now. Um, he, it's not reasonable simply from a, you know, exhaustion standpoint to expect him to do all the things he's done in these first three games. But as far as efficiency, as far as making other people uh, constantly deal with, you know, jeopardy situations, he's been brilliant. I thought it was really interesting, Walker. I mean, obviously Cliff knows his game extremely well, having coached him the previous five seasons. And I asked Cliff before the, the Magic game, I said, is there anything when you watch Kemba now that particularly comes to mind that didn't necessarily come to mind, you know, when you coached him. And he said, the biggest thing I can tell you about Kemba is, he said, he comes into every situation, no matter what, you know, how much time's left, no matter what scores left, no matter what sort of defense he sees in front of him. Cliff said, Kemba now comes to the game with a, with a plan in his mind for every single situation. And he says, and that's when players are really really dangerous when you can't fluster them or confuse them and last question rick just tony parker point guard obviously coming from the san antonio spurs such a historic organization you know what have you seen from him with him kind of lighting a fire under guys like kimba walker and maybe some other veterans on this team and is that a could that potentially be a problem with him kind of using his reputation as this hall of fame basketball player that we've seen kind of in a way that he has been using it so far I was really excited about a behind-the-scenes story that I wrote after um, they beat the, the Magic, where Nick took me aside and told me that the day before, when they had not had practice, but they did have a meeting with a film session, he and and um, TP and Kemba all, all stayed behind to have a, uh, a conversation and more film review with Borrego. And... Uh, Tony kind of took over that meeting and kind of laid into Kimba and Nick and told them, you know, you are the two guys that have to establish a standard at the beginning of the games. You've got to get these people started, and you're responsible for that. And I know what a great team looks like. And if you guys don't start um, the rest of these guys to be ready for every the start the tip-off of every single game, you're letting them down. Um, Tony Parker has a gravitas. You know, those four rings count for something. Um, he's considered wise. Uh, you know, I, I loved it when, when Billy um, Hernan Gomez told me in the preseason, he said he is universally respected in this locker room. He said he doesn't have to go, you know, find people to tell them things. We all run up to him to ask him for advice. Uh, Nick told me that one of the things that has been missing from this team the last two years is a veteran with the credibility 
to, to, you know, to push people around sometimes in that locker room to tell them when they're screwing up. And certainly if Tony is comfortable with that role and all indications are that he is, um, he's going to be that guy. Rick Bennell, Charlotte Observer, joining us here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Rick, thanks so much as you join us every single Tuesday and uh, have fun in Chicago for that Bulls game. Take care, Walker. You have a good day. All right. Thanks so much. Once again, that was Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joining us here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with more. I'm Walker Mail alongside Nada Edwards. You're listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. <laughs> now here's the funny part i was listening to this to prep it for the show and um my wife walks in and was like what are you yeah listening right to that's a little scary cool. if, if you don't have the context if you walk in and you start hearing that yeah that's darth vader i didn't have pants on that didn't help <laughs> yeah, either. No, that's... Um, it's time for more of the locked on hornets podcast Welcome back to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Once again, a big thanks to Rick Bennell for joining us. Joins us every single week, always gives us good stuff, and finally some content to talk about with the season starting. Yes, very thankful for that. So we got some notes from Rick Bennell, just real quickly going over some things that he said before we dive into a little bit of our own thoughts from the Toronto recap. What did you think of Rick when I brought up to him about Cody Zeller's minutes? Yeah. Seemed seemed a little low last night. You looked at what he played all in all. It was just 15 minutes compared to Billy Hernan Gomez's 18 minutes. And then Bismack got nine, but that was at the end of the game when it really didn't matter anymore. So Cody, just getting the 15 minutes, one of two from the field, only the two points that he scored, just the five rebounds. Did have three assists, so maybe contributing a little bit in the rebound and assist area. But I thought Cody was going to play a little bit more, and especially with Jonas Valanciunas destroying them down low. Yes. Cody's just a better defender than Billy. Like We can have our disagreements about who was supposed to be the starter, but we've both been on the same page. There's an obvious decision of who's the best defender down low big, and Cody just didn't get that many minutes last night, even with Valanciunas doing a very good job for the Toronto Raptors down low. Oh, I agree. The one thing that worries me about this is that I think – Valanciunas has a little bit too much body for a guy like Cody Zeller. So I'm not sure you were going to stop him and get him off the boards. The bigger issue was who was going to check a guy like Serge Ibaka. And Ibaka basically had his way down there last night, catching everybody on switches. He was just, for every single game that I've seen him play against the Hornets, whether it was with OKC, whether it was with Orlando or now Toronto, He's had his way against these guys. There's not a he's just an absolute matchup nightmare. 15 points, 8 rebounds for him, 7 of 12 from the field, and at least you had to respect him as a three-point shooter, which he's developed that shot as his career has gone on. So he went 0 for 3 from beyond the arc. But I thought Cody Zeller was going to get more minutes. He did against Orlando and Miami, but Rick saying that just flat out. Cody needs to play better I than agree. he has. And I didn't think he's been all that bad. I, I think against Milwaukee, I thought he was okay. I know you thought that maybe he played a little bit worse than I did. But against Orlando, Miami, uh, we were a little bit more on the same page. I, I want to see a little bit more Cody Zeller than just the 15 minutes. I like him as a player if he's healthy. That's been the one caveat you speak That's with the Cody. Thing. And, and you're hoping that he can play, but the guy's healthy right now, right? I, or I, so I, we think. And, well, <laughs> So we think. I mean, 
it's the same. I remember we had this discussion about MKG before the season started where that anonymous scout from SI basically said injuries have zapped what Michael Kidd Gilchrist could be. Maybe it, we need to have that discussion about Cody Zeller. Maybe, just maybe, because he's looked a step slow to me, and that's not the Cody I'm used to. Now, granted, he has those flashes of athleticism, like posterizing half the Orlando Magic on Friday. But there have been some issues where like, center is a problem. Center is an, a dire problem when you're having to throw MKG out there at the five or Marvin at the five. Just looking at other areas throughout the Charlotte Hornets, Rick also bringing up that this team needs a second scoring option. And I think we've seen Malik Monk step up in the Milwaukee Bucks game. We saw mm-hmm. him at that big shot down the stretch. We saw him against the Heat hit a couple of those jumpers. And Rick brought up there, Malik Monk, by the way, it's funny to hear Rick Bennell say bro, right? Just actually quoting, <laughs> exactly. quoting Malik Monk. But quoting Malik saying to Kimba, Quote, I got you, bro, when Kimba was so tired that he needed somebody else to step up, and that's where Malik did it. I think that gave you all the encouragement in the world. Now, he didn't have a great game last night. No, not. I, I'm worried about his field goal percentage as a whole, which this is the type of player that Malik is probably just going to be. Yeah. Um, but 4 of 12, but the three-point shooting, still 40%. You, you get 40% from Malik, you take that all day, and it's, just, it's a good shooting percentage from anybody out there. So I, I think Malik... It seems like he's going to have to be that second scoring option. And Bunnell giving Malik Monk some credit in the fact that he is a better defender and that he has improved quite well since last season. And something we've talked about a decent amount, Nada, Rick Bunnell sharing the same sentiment. The guy is making way better decisions. They're crisper. They're just better decisions overall. And the guy looks comfortable as a basketball player, a wiser basketball player out there. The one thing that that did come to me is that I hate to use this cliché, but the game has slowed down for Malik Monk. He knows where to be. He knows it. He knows what he needs to do. And the fact that he's now comfortable in an NBA offense, in an NBA environment, makes all the difference. Now he's making more shots. Now he's making better decisions. Now he's confident in, okay, I can take this, and I know I'm not going to get pulled. That's something that, that there's a comfort level there. And for now, Malik Monk is trying on defense. And I do remember... Borrego saying, as long as you're competitive on defense, as long as you're trying, as long as there aren't those mental breakdowns, I'm okay with giving you minutes. And I think with Malik Monk, he's just getting minutes because he's going to be in spots he needs to be in, unlike some other guards and unlike some other centers that we've seen play so far. Now, Fred Van Vliet had some success against Malik yes. Monk last night, and Fred Van Vliet is a six-man-of-the-year candidate, as he was mm-hmm. last season, probably going to be again this year, getting 19 minutes out there on the court. But again, I, I think for the most part, you've been pleased with what Malik Monk has given you. You have to be. And um, and, and especially offensively. I, I just think shooting the basketball, certainly Malik's forte, finding a way to get his own shot, I think Malik has been good in that regard. Anything else that you took note of in this game, Nada, from the Charlotte Hornets perspective, about what you saw maybe for me I think when I I looked at this game a little bit more uh, just overall on who guys that need to step up and you know the Toronto is a great basketball team exactly this was coming this was coming right and uh, and and you knew Toronto was probably going to win this game at home I went with the naive homer pick that the Hornets would cover you were the smart one and decided that you would go against that and sure enough the Raptors do end up winning by 21 points 127 to 106 
But I think you know Marvin still didn't play great. You know, twenty minutes, just the four points. That's a bad matchup for Marvin. It is. And then you have Jeremy Lamb not playing great, five of fourteen. Nick Batum not playing great, four of ten. I mean, the guys just didn't shoot all that well. They had been shooting very well from three and pretty pretty well from the field. And they shot forty two percent from the field and they shot thirty two percent from beyond the arc. And they they got to the free throw line eighteen times and hit a good percentage there. But it's yeah. just not enough to salvage you from a bad shooting night, a poor shooting shooting night overall where eventually you see all of these guys Kimba Walker the only one shooting 50 percent and looks like almost all of the players that got on as far as the starting lineup and even Billy Hernan Gomez goes four of six Miles Bridges goes three of four he gets 19 minutes but again it's just Kimba basically and it took him a little bit more time to get going last night so it, it was basically just a bad shooting night for a lot of these guys and uh, maybe one sustainable I, I'm ran I'm rambling here but Jeremy Lamb and Malik Monk how much do you consider possibly having Malik Monk come off the bench as this guy who is is so is a huge contributor in that regard or do you consider maybe starting him over Jeremy Lamb just because we haven't seen great basketball from him yet the last the the I started really considering it last night because you started seeing again they went down eight too early and how much of that was jeremy lamb breakdowns on defense there he did have some breakdowns last night early i mean the media the first play that we saw was kyle lowry coming down the court and hitting a three yeah and then we saw some danny green open threes you know it's jeremy lamb did not look great defensively early on exactly and that's the big thing about borrego he doesn't mind that you're not a good defender he just matter. He minds that you care and you pay attention to detail when it comes to defense. And if Lamb is going to have these breakdowns, this is going to be an issue, and you have to start at least considering starting Malik Monk. And more importantly, I believe Monk is shooting a better three point percentage as well at this point. So if the idea is to spread the floor out, give more space for Kemba Walker, you may have to consider putting Lamb back in his familiar position of being the sixth man on this team because you know what? We got to win games. The idea is to make the playoffs for this team. The other thing that I did take note of, did you notice who the uh, third center was last night? It was Bismack. I don't think that's a mistake. (laughs) Over Frank? Yep. I don't think that's a mistake. Well, I I think he certainly has fallen out of favor, but they had they did put and I think Bismack. I mean, it was you don't consider that just throwing in the towel at that point, just getting I Bismack do think, some run. Yes, I do think it's I th- think it's partially getting Bismack run. I also think Frank is falling that far out of favor. Well, I, I don't think this is anything new at this point, right? I mean, we we know Frank Kaminsky is not in Borrego's rotation. You're, yeah. you're saying that you take more of that, that you think Frank has now solidified himself as the fourth center on this team? Yes. I don't think it's like that. Like I not not that it even really matters though. No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like this would be a somewhat irrelevant conversation unless you have somebody that goes down. But I don't I don't know how much it matters all that much because Bismack offensively that there was there was an old old fashioned Bismack <laughs> possession that we yes, saw in this was. game where he just could not hold on to the damn basketball and finally you're like thank God he gets it out to the three point line of and they give it back to him <laughs> they do they do and then he gets fouled I believe and then yes, he go, and he goes to the free throw line after they give it back to him but that's. Classic biz, right? Like that's yes. You, you know what you're getting. But from that Bismack. that block on OG, 
Yeah, that, that block on OG was was uh, something spectacular. <laughs> that that wasn't bad. Good. How about Bismack, by the way, getting the standing ovation? Man, look, they love Tor- they love Biz loves him some Toronto, and Toronto loves him some Biz. They do, and they he got paid off of one series. It was the one series against Cleveland that got him all that money to go to Orlando, and now you got to be thinking yourself for your time, or got to be thinking the Raptors for your time. Of in course. Canada. He probably owes again. He probably pays residuals to Dwayne Casey. I don't blame him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Bismack getting the standing O north of the border last night, but the Hornets they fall to two and two, two and one on the road, and the Raptors they move to four and zero. Let's get a little bit more into the Toronto Raptors on the other side of the break, as well as some other things going on in the NBA. I'm Walker Mail alongside Nada Edwards. Stick around with us here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. And I'm, I have plenty of hurricane snacks. Went out and bought some Chex Mix. <laughs> yeah. Which What kind of Chex Mix? This savory, it was a savory Chex Mix. There's a an, lot of cheese going on in that Chex oh, Mix. You're an expert on Chex Mix, correct? Right? Well, I, just I'm, trail mix. I'm very particular about my trail mix. I'm what not as particular, particular about, about my Chex Chex Mix. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Welcome back to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Walker Mail, Nada Edwards, no Doug Branson once again today. Looking to get him back at the beginning of next week. But just looking around, the rest of the news that went down in the NBA last night, probably the biggest storyline, is looking at that Los Angeles Lakers team. Had a a six-point lead with just, it was less than a minute left. It was like Mm -hmm. 55 seconds left. And then LeBron James goes to the free throw line. Misses both free throws. Patty Mills steps up big for the San Antonio Spurs, and the Lakers fall to 0 and 3. So, looking at that Lakers team, watching Lonzo Ball, who actually, if I'm not mistaken, Lonzo Ball's actually shot somewhat decent from beyond the arc. Yeah, so that, far. That, that that shooting stuff was a little overstated for Lonzo. It, it might have been, and so Lonzo's actually shooting a little bit better, and they score the most points that they ever have under a LeBron James-led team. LeBron James, that is. LeBron James and his team scored more than they ever have in any lineup that LeBron James has ever been, and they end up losing. And that's incredible to see. How how worried are you about the Lakers making the playoffs? I'm not worried about them making the playoffs because this is LeBron. I'm worried about their seeding. I'd absolutely be worried about their seeding because they're going to be a 6-7-8 seed, and... While we would love to see LeBron versus the Warriors in round one, LeBron don't want to see that. LeBron goes home in five tops. And so you, you're looking at these standings from last season, and it's like, who, who's going to be on the outside looking in in order to get the Lakers back in? Because you have Golden State, you have Houston, you have Utah. They're all in the top three seed. Denver's going to push them for a seed. Denver, certainly a lot of people would have in right now. They're undefeated, and, and Denver, a lot of people were high on Denver coming into the season anyway, so it's not like they snuck up on anybody. New Orleans maybe sneaked up a little bit on people, but that was still a talented team that actually got into the playoffs last year, so it's not like you're kicking them out. You know, Portland, maybe you would want to kick out, but they're Portland is absolutely one of those candidates. Uh, Portland would be one, and Minnesota might be one. Oh, Jimmy no, Minnesota's, Minnesota's done. Well, if, if Jimmy Butler is traded, no, certainly. No, no, they're done. Even if Jimmy Butler plays for that team? Have you seen Cat recently? <laughs> I have. It, it, there is some problems going on with Cat. But I think that they're at least fighting, right? Like, it's it's going to be a battle. Like, I, I understand with you. I, I think the Lakers make the playoffs, too. I'm not going to bet against LeBron. I'm not going to be that foolish, certainly this early going. But it's going to take a very 
tough battle for them to get into that 8-7 spot because you're talking about probably 11 deserving teams just based on what we know about these teams coming in, and there's only eight spots for them. Watch what happens, though, because if LeBron does and the Lakers do miss the playoffs and they miss it by a game and they they win 47, 48 games – the cry for 16 teams instead of eight east eight west oh, is it, only going to get louder it is and especially with the way that the east is going to look or the east is going to look so weak and i, I don't think the east is going to look that look that weak, it's not going to look awful but then you have to consider they're not playing a ton of western conference opponents and and i get you on that but just going to the east real quickly the boston celtics they fall to the fighting Ooh, steve boy. cliffords last night two and two are the Celtics so far this season? And Wait, we got the same record as the Celtics. We do have the same record. We go and play. That's right. Feel good. Uh, Toronto four and zero. Toronto looks great. Has the early going made you change your mind at all, or at least maybe altered it a no. little bit? And that Toronto might be messing with the Boston Celtics for the number one overall. Season. No, because Boston is they're in that Warriors mode right now. They'll still win fifty games without trying. That team is entirely too deep. That enti- team is entirely too good to do anything with for right now. Now, let's see what happens if Kyrie gets hurt again, which he's probably is. Let's see what happens if Gordon Hayward doesn't come all the way back by April. But for right now, I'm not going to worry about the Boston Celtics until if they're scuffling, they're middling into February. Cool. Then, then we can start pushing the panic button. How bad does Cleveland look? They look awful. Didn't we all see this coming? Yes, we did. You look at Cleveland, Toronto, they lose to them 116-104. to They lose to the Timberwolves by 8 points, and they lose to the Hawks by 20. The Atlanta yeah. Hawks, Trey Young, gets 35 on them boys. Hey, Cleveland does not look good, and I know a lot of people thought they might be messing around with that 8 spot, but Kevin Love, while he has been more aggressive, Minnesota-like Kevin Love, it's not helping that team win right now. Here's the thing that I wonder. Like, I understand that Kevin Love secured the bag, and that's always going to be number one priority with me. How dumb do you look signing a long-term extension with them right now? Well, if if you're Kevin Love, if, if you get the money, then fine. I'm just interested to see if Cleveland will trade Kevin Love, because are you just going to go in full tank mode? What kind of assets can you get for K-Love? And then do you just go tank mode alongside having Colin Sexton being basically your one building block? But the problem is, is... The Cavaliers are kind of in a similar situation the Hornets are. Yeah. Where they have a lot of guys that are stuck up in that cap, in that salary cap. And it's going to be tough to find anybody that actually views J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson as, as valuable. And yeah. and even Larry Nance got a big contract, man. Yeah. Like the he, one guy that didn't get paid is Rodney Hood, and that was because he was an idiot. Right. Well, and and Larry Nance, that at least they did make that contract tradable. I believe they took some money off as the years went on, if I'm not mistaken. But mm-hmm. still, it's still a, a pretty hefty contract for Larry Nance that you know it was when they were trying to figure out what kind of rookies from a few years ago they were going to extend and they decided to do that to Larry Nance so the the Cleveland Cavaliers they do not look good by any stretch and that was one team I don't know if you're just completely marking them off again it's three games into the season but still it's not like we were high on them anyway I will when they trade Kevin Love in February well certainly we'll see who Kevin Love does go to that would certainly make things interesting Um, but we'll see we'll see how the Eastern Conference shapes up just a few games into the regular season the Hornets have the Chicago Bulls on Wednesday. So Must win. We, uh, we'll get to talk about the Hornets and the Chicago Bulls game. They're going to be on the road for one more.
more day before they do come back to the Spectrum Center and face the Chicago Bulls in another must-win game. A lot of must-win games here yes. at the beginning of the season. It is make or break for the Charlotte Hornets, and it starts at the beginning of the 2018-2019 NBA season. So thanks again for joining us. Thanks for listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Locked On Hornets. We'll be back tomorrow with a preview for the Chicago Bulls game. Thanks again for joining us. See you guys.